Well, greetings in the name of the Lord. I bring you greetings from the far distant land of Bridgeton, under the shadow of Mammoth Pleasant Mountain. If you're ever in the area, please stop by and say hello and worship with us. Great to be with you this evening. Our Old Covenant reading is in the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. I read to you the first four verses. Hear now this reading of God's holy word, as we see here that this passage speaks of the pervading contentment that is enjoyed by you, the saints, in the messianic age under Christ. Isaiah 26, the first four verses. Hear now the word of the Lord. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Oh, trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Amen. Now turning our attention to God's word in the New Covenant, this being our sermon text as well, Philippians, the fourth chapter, and we begin our reading in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help. You sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who are with you, or with me greet you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us pray for the Lord's blessing on his word today. O oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law today. We confess our need of the spirit, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation and wisdom. Oh, may that be our portion today, that we might profit thereby. In this we pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. 
Well, this tale is well known. And it speaks very pointedly to our subject of contentment this day. It concerns one brother, John, who enters the monastery of silence. Upon his arrival, uh, this chief monk says to Brother John, Brother, this is a silent monastery. You're welcome here as, as long as you like, but you're not allowed to speak until I direct you to do so. So for five years, a Brother John lives in this uh, monastery until the chief monk finally uh, says to him, well, Brother John, you have been here for five years. Now you may speak. Two words. Brother John says, hard bed. But the chief monk replies, and very sorry to hear that, uh, we will get you a better bed. Well, another five years go by, and Brother John again is called by the chief monk, who says to Brother John, you may now speak another two words. Brother John replies, cold food. Chief monk assures him that food would be better in the future. Well, the day arrives. It's... Brother John's 15th anniversary at the monastery, and the chief monk calls him yet again into his office, and he says, well, what are the two words that you want to say today? Brother John replies, I quit. To which the chief monk replies, well... I'm not really surprised you've done nothing but complain since you got here. It's a human story, no doubt, but I think it really captures the essence of what discontentment is. It's a, a complaining about our current lot, right? So in the verses just prior to this one, Paul has been dealing with this issue of anxiety of worry, but you want to understand that there is a distinction between anxiety, between worry, and that of discontentment. You see, anxiety worries about such concerns as, wow, will everything be okay? Will I have enough to get by? So, I mean, those are natural questions to ask, aren't they? Have you not ask those of your own situation, but the problem with anxiety is how it answers those questions. Will I have enough to get by? Uh, most likely not. Will everything be okay? Uh, probably not. Now, discontentment, that's a little different. See, the question it entertains is not Will I have enough to get by? No. Will I have enough that will make me happy and fully satisfied? Will I have enough to uh, fulfill my desires? And, it, and the way it answers that question, it says, no, I don't have enough to satisfy myself, at least not yet. 
And you are reminded here of Rockefeller's quip. So when he is asked, you know, how much money does it take in order to be happy? His answer, just a little bit more. Greg Easter book, he, he writes this book. It's entitled um, The Progress Paradox. The Progress Paradox, how life gets better while people feel worse. You know, the main thesis of that book is how there's all these improvements that have taken place in the past century. Western life has vastly improved in a lot of ways. And yet today, most men and women feel less happy today than they have in previous generations. So the book's dealing with that phenomenon. Of course, the media is only fueling this, talking about, you know, in all the ads, how, yeah, you have stuff, you just don't have enough stuff. You need more stuff. You don't have the latest stuff. You don't have the fastest stuff. You don't have the best stuff. Even wealthy people who don't have any worry about where that next meal is coming from, nevertheless can be extremely discontent with what they have. So now the the church at Philippi, does the church at Philippi have eBay? And no. I mean, I think it goes without saying. They do not have that. On the contrary, the church in Philippi knows what it is to live on the brink of poverty. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians 8, 2, says as much when he speaks of the extreme poverty of the Philippian church. So this makes it all the more striking when you learn that the Philippian church has actually given generously so for the sake of the needy church in Judea. Now, of course, one of the reasons Paul is writing the book of uh, Philippians is to give thanks for the generous gift the Philippians have given him by way of Epaphroditus. So he mentions as much in verse 10 here, uh, how much he rejoices greatly in the receiving of that gift when it arrives. And he qualifies this in the text by saying, you know, not that I was in need, That is to say, not that I was discontent before it arrived, not that I'm only in the pastorate for the money, you know, the tens and tens of dollars that that brings. Uh, But no, he's truly thankful for the sacrificial giving, even enduring financial deprivation so that God's servants might be enabled to bring the gospel to others, to ever-increasing boundaries of the kingdom of God's grace. It's a beautiful thing. According to verse 18, uh, he says such sacrificial giving is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. It's a sacrifice spawned out of this Christian virtue uh, which is Paul's subject for today, that of what? That of Christian contentment. What is, why is contentment so important to obtain? Well, first of all, Scripture says contentment is commanded. Where? Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We've already heard in Philippians 2.14 that uh, to be discontented in spirit, is a, it is a great sin. Paul says here, do all things without complaining or disputing. 
You only need to think of the language of the Old Testament here as you think of the Israelites in, the, in places such as Numbers 11, you know, who are grumbling, they're complaining because they had forgotten God's great blessings, instead longing to be back in Egypt, longing for those old days. And we can see that today. You know, there's this tendency, there's a temptation, rather, where we can exaggerate the goodness and the glory of the old days. Wonderful to be back in Egypt. You know, parents, we have parents here. I'm sure we have parents here. And have your children ever said to you, "Uh, you didn't give me enough? Well, sometimes Christians can do that with God. You didn't give me enough. So, the Scripture commands contentment. Yes, but secondly, you need to understand contentment. Why? Positive here, it's such a priceless treasure. It's a treasure. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.6 that godliness with contentment is what? Can you finish that text off for me? This is great gain. This great gain. Why? Because a contented spirit shows a submission to the will of God. And a submissive heart, that is a happy heart. Matthew Henry puts it this way, that person is much happier who's always content, though he has ever so little, than the person who's always coveting, be it he ever has so much. Okay, so, well, if contentment is commanded, that's number one. If number two, we see that it's a great blessing, here's the question of tonight. You want to know what the question is tonight? How do I obtain it? How do I obtain contentment? You know, Paul, in our text today, says contentment is something that can be learned. Specifically in three things, which are the point of the sermon today, by learning its meaning, by learning through experience, and thirdly and lastly, by learning its secret. Yes, there is a secret to contentment. We're going to learn it tonight. But let's see how the Apostle directs you, each of you, to the blessing of contentment. First, it's number one, learning its meaning. If you're going to obtain something, you need to understand what you're seeking to obtain. And Paul's understanding of the word contentment is vastly different than that of the Stoics, and the platonists of the Greek world of his day. So if you look at verse 11, so not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever need I am, uh, whatever state I am, to be content. Now the Greek word that Paul, that is translated here, content, was used in the ancient Greek world to speak of this sense of being self-sufficient, being strong enough not to need any Support. I'm fine the way I am. And that's especially the understanding of the word by the Stoics and the Platonists of the day, being self, self-sufficient. Specifically, according to the Stoics, they taught this principle of emotional self-detachment. You want to emotionally self-detach from the things of around you. So Paul here, Paul's 
theology is not one at all of emotional self-detachment or aloofness. On the contrary, he talks about uh, weeping with those who weep. He talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice in the, the broader scope of Pauline theology. Um, and he calls you to do the same, right? So the word contentment in the Greek can also mean this. It can also mean independent of external circumstances, content with one's lot. And that is certainly the way he is using this word right here. External circumstances do not determine one's happiness. That's Paul's point. I know of no better definition of contentment than the one in that wonderful Puritan work by Jeremiah Burroughs. It's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I don't know if any of you have you read that. I see some nodding out there. Uh, I will remind you of that. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, he defines it as the sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits and delights in God's fatherly wise disposal in every condition. That's the meaning of contentment. Okay, so that's number one. We're past number one. Let's get to our second point tonight. Not only do you obtain contentment by learning its meaning, but secondly, you learn it by learning through experience. So yes, Paul is saying that learning contentment is a process. It is a process. It takes time. It, it doesn't happen overnight. So you can be gratefully, greatly comforted to know that the Apostle Paul himself needed to learn contentment through experience. And uh, based upon the words that follow, I mean, sometimes that experience is difficult. Right? So you look at verse 12, he says, I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Uh, everywhere and in, in all things, I have learned both to be full, well, that's great, and to be hungry. Huh. Both to abound and to suffer need. Wow, so learning contentment, what does it take? It takes the humbling of the apostle. It takes the humbling of you as well. And me. It takes having to deal with affluence, having lots of stuff, more than you need, and poverty. Both of these con conditions bring with them attendant temptations. Uh, he was stuffed, he was starved. I think you get that. Paul's point is that neither of these states is spiritually desirable over the other. Both of them bring temptations. Neither of those situations makes it automatically easier not to sin, is his point. Affluence has its own temptations that can be just as severe as poverty, you know, getting more and more uh, can be just as addictive. It can be harder and harder to say no. It can be harder and harder to say enough. I just want more, 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 more. Now, I think I, I speak for maybe everybody in this room. Uh, I mean, 
and I'm not looking for you to ejaculate answers out loud, but I'm thinking it's probably never the case that you never had nothing. Have you ever had just nothing? No, the challenge seems to be (laughs) rather when you do have the things you need, but you don't have all the things that you want. That's the temptation. The blessing of contentment helps you to receive God's small gifts with thanksgiving, but also helps you to receive the great wealth, perhaps, without your hearts distracted from the giver to the gift. That's the balance. Contentment, then, is being at home in whatever state God has called you, whatever circumstance he has called you. Now, let me just clarify. This doesn't mean that you can never change a job if you're unhappy with your present job. If there's another job that better meets your gifts, if it's more lucrative uh, and doesn't violate God's will, go for it. This is not dealing with that. Contentment is not an, uh, a, a just a blanket, whatever, non-ambitious approach to life either. Was the Apostle Paul non-ambitious? No. He was anything but non-ambitious. He was one of the most ambitious individuals on planet Earth. He was not complacent. No, contentment is rather having a joy, I'm clarifying now, is having a joy which is not dependent upon those external circumstances, but is rather in God himself, in Jesus himself, in Christ himself. That's where the contentment comes. It's to realize that God is sovereign over every circumstance that comes your way. And my wife and I, we appreciated this devotion a while back. We read in this book called uh, Streams in the Desert. And it was based upon just four words of God. Four words of God. They're powerful words. You want to hear them? Yes. I want to tell them to you. I'm excited to tell them to you. You want these? They're from 1 Kings 12, 24. Do you know what those four words are? These are going to bless you. Prepare to be blessed. You know what God says? This is my doing. This is my doing. So the devotional, the way the devotional puts it, it says, let me whisper in your ear so that any storm clouds that uh, may arise will shine with glory. The rough places you have to walk will be made smooth. It's only four words. Let them sink into your inner being. And use them as a pillow to rest your weary head. This is my doing. So the devotional, basically its point is to to highlight that whatever concerns you in your life, whatever is concerning you right now, it concerns God. Listen to Zechariah 2.8 where God says, For whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 4, where God says, You are precious and honored in my sight. Hmm. Devotional goes on, it says, Are you in these difficult circumstances? Are you surrounded by people who do not understand you? Who never ask your opinion? Who always push you aside? Once again, God says, This is my doing. 
I am the God of circumstances. That's what that's saying. I'm the God of circumstances. You didn't come to this place by accident. You're, you're exactly where God meant you to be. Haven't you ever asked for God to make you Christ-like and humble? If so, you know, you can understand, I think, how God places you in those ideal circumstances for that lesson to be learned. Um, what about money? Are you finding it difficult to pay the bills? Again, what are the four words? This is God's doing. He wants you to trust that he will meet all your needs in Christ Jesus, which is what this text says. Are you experiencing a time of sorrow? <laughs> this is God's doing. Christ, according to Isaiah 53, verse 5, is a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. God will even allow your earthly comforters to fail you so that you learn to trust in God alone. Or have you longed to do some great work for God? <laughs> oh boy, but instead you've found yourself on a bed of sickness and pain. Four words. This is God's doing. Maybe you were busy in your life. Maybe God didn't have your attention. Maybe this is the way he wants to get your attention. He wants you to slow down in order to teach you deeper truths. So the bottom line here, brothers and sisters, is that you don't learn contentment unless you've learned to be content in all situations. Every single one. Because of the sovereignty of God. What does the world say? The world doesn't say... The world does not ask, how do I get content in this bad situation? No, the world concentrates all their focus on how in the world do you get out of this bad situation. Now, listen carefully. If there is a way, biblically, to get out of a bad situation, a shortcut, take it. <laughs> I would. I exhort you to do that too, but... If contentment is, is, is not resting in God to have the final say, he could have you in a trial for that patience to work a work in you of sanctification. So contentment is not about complacency. It's not like, oh, I'm in trial, whatever. No, Paul's ambitious. Contentment, rather, is a frame of heart. We're really qualifying this and nailing it down. It's a frame of heart in God's providence, really. Whatever he brings to you, whatever that condition is, that you can know joy. And what is joy in Philippians? Do you want a definition of joy in Philippians? Joy is that happy confidence that God is in control. Whatever he brings to you, you're happy that God is in control. That's joy. There's a Christian hymn by Anna L. Waring. You know, it expresses this attitude, really the polar opposite of the worldly thinking. 
Let me quote it to you, this, this hymn. It says, I would not have a restless will that hurries to and fro, seeking for some great thing to do or a secret thing to know. No, I would be treated as a child and guided where I know. I ask thee for daily strength to none that ask denied. A mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side. Content to fill a little space, a little space, if thou will be glorified. That's contentment. That's the level of contentment. And that can only be learned how? Through experience. Through experience. It takes time. That's our second point. Okay, now we come to our third and last point. Not only is contentment learned through experience, but thirdly and lastly, by learning its secret. This is the moment you've been waiting for, right? I said there was a secret to contentment. Here it is. There's a secret to learning contentment. When Paul says, I've learned to be content, he's using one word in the Greek. It's a verb... But learning, it's related to this word mystery. So I, he's basically saying here, it could be translated this way, I have learned the mystery. I have learned the secret of being content. I have been initiated, Paul says, with regard to this blessing of contentment. You see, in a sense, obtaining contentment is insider knowledge. And I'm giving it to you now. But this is not like the ancient mystery religions of secret handshakes and cryptic passwords. No, the mysterios, the mystery of the gospel, is one which Paul has proclaimed openly from the housetops. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the very particular way Paul describes the secret of contentment in this passage is right here in verse 13, that I, I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. There is a secret to contentment. It is insider knowledge. But you, each of you, get in on the secret as you trust in Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became man, who lives this obedient life unto death on the cross for the sins of his people, was buried, rose from the dead on the third day, rose and ascended to heaven where he presently reigns and one day he will return in glory. Christ himself is the secret to contentment. When you start to feel that you won't be happy, when you won't be fulfilled, you have more and more. Well, let me tell you, through trust in Jesus Christ, you realize more and more that there's only one that can fulfill and satisfy your hearts. There's only one that can empower you. Only one. Even Christians, you know, who have been trusting in Christ for a long time have to be reminded of this. Now, all right, is this just a form of Christianized happy talk that I'm giving to you right now? Is this just like a, a Christianized form of the power of positive 
thinking, is this just a mere sedative? I'm giving you to lull you into a a very temporal view of, of contentment. No, not at all. For Paul's words here indicate, listen carefully, that there are spiritual muscles on your part that need to be flexed in dependence upon Christ's grace. Listen again, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Did you hear that? Now, obviously, this is not a blank check. What's the uh, tallest building in Limington? Is this one the tallest building? I don't know. Seems like it. All right, we'll just use it. There's a steeple on the top, isn't there? You know, is this this blank check God gives us? You can jump off the steeple of the Limington OPC and you'll have no harm because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Is that a good application of this text of Scripture? Okay, well, when you're a, a flat pancake on the, uh, on the boulevard here, you'll find differently. No, it isn't. That isn't the way Paul is meaning this at all. But rather... When he says, I can do all things, you know what the all things in the text is referring to? The all things is referring back to the all circumstances. In verse 12 is the connection. That is to say, all the things that God calls you to do in those circumstances. You can do all those things in Christ who strengthens you. He gives you the power to do so. And on this basis, brothers and sisters, this involves a doing on your part. It does involve a a fight in the Holy Spirit, in his strength, in Christ's strength. Don't you find that you need to fight not to complain sometimes? (laughs) I know I do. There will be temptation. There will be a fight not to covet uh, what others have. There will be a fight uh, so that you don't focus on what is and, and fixate on what is undesirable in your circumstances. You need to fight those thoughts out of your head. There is a fight. Spiritual muscles in contentment. But the incredible encouragement here is that as you do so, as you do this through Christ, you realize that you already have the supreme treasure. You have Christ himself. And this enables you to enjoy the blessing of contentment in whatever circumstance you are in. All right. So there you have it. You have learned the secret of contentment and and how through Paul's words you might obtain this incredible blessing of contentment, which is of great gain, he says elsewhere, but... Now I want to offer a little twist ending. Because on one hand, whereas you as Christians should be the most contented people in the world, there's another sense, however, in which you should be the most discontented people in the world. On planet Earth. You remember Paul's victories that he mentioned in Philippians uh, a, a while back? They're dung to him. They mean nothing to him. The apostle... Now he's an old man. He knows Christ more intimately, perhaps, than anybody in the church. 
he still has this longing to know Jesus more. He's not content with his present knowledge of Christ. He wants to know him more. And Augustine offers, I think, a helpful analogy of this uh, with respect to his earthly wife. He says, you know, the more I know my wife, the more I realize that there is to know. (laughs) I've seen the depths of my wife, but I cannot find the bottom and if, I say, if that's true of a wife, how much truer is it of the Lord Jesus Christ, the heavenly bridegroom? The contented Christian is not content with this present level of knowledge of Christ. So you, you press forward to a greater knowledge of Jesus toward that heavenly goal. I mean, there's a, there's a country music song Anybody here like country music? I don't. No hands. Good. I feel the same way. The country music song, and it has this lyric. It says, everybody want to go to heaven, but nobody want to go now. Know what that's saying? Yeah, they want the benefit of heaven, but they want to party it up. But let me tell you, there's no country music theology in heaven. No, the, the contented Christian is one who longs for heaven. We long for heaven. The only discontent is that we are not there yet. Mm-hmm. Ironically, it's the heavenly prize that spurs you on in the present circumstances. Right? Amen? No country music. <laughs> Um, I read of this uh, woman, and she attempts to swing, swim the English Channel uh, in a fog. Very foggy. It's 1952. She is unsuccessful in her attempt. You know what she says later, though? She says, I could have made it if I had seen the land. If only I could see the land. I could have made it. And so it is with a Christian. You forget what's behind. You press to what is forward on that heavenly goal, the heavenly prize, the high calling in Christ Jesus. Pauline theme. The true Christian is one who is single-minded in the quest to know God. And Jeremiah Burroughs, quote him again on this classic, of, on the subject, he says that a soul is capable of God can be filled with nothing but God. And what does that remind you of? It reminds you of Psalm 27. You know, one thing I, I have decided, uh, desired, one thing I ask, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord forever. That's contentment, right? And so to sum up, brothers and sisters, what you're to say with the Apostle Paul in this text, I've learned to be content where God has placed me, Number one, I've I've learned to be content with what God has given me. Number two, and uh, but I'm not content with who I am. At least not yet. Not until I get to heaven. When I know Jesus face to face, when I know Christ fully, then will I be content with what I am. And so, this is the end of... Philippians, and 
I close it with Paul's final words here of blessing and comfort in this letter. He says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father. Godliness with contentment is such great gain. You've taught us what it is. You've taught us that we must learn it through experience. That gives us a whole new perspective on our trials as well as our affluence. (laughs) But you've taught us the secret, and that secret is Christ. That insider knowledge of being in Christ, of knowing Christ more fully, making that our goal. Lord, may you make us a content people, even as we are discontent and long to know Jesus more. For this we pray in the name of our Lord Christ. Amen.